This message is presented by Matthew Wilson, Pastor Chuck Wilson's son. Hi, my name is Matthew Wilson, and this is part two of the little sermon series thing that's going on. Um, so in in I said that I'd give a, a introduction or repeat what I've said in, in the first one. So I'm going to do that real quick before we get into everything. Um, for those of you who are only listening to part two, this is this is for you specifically. So in part one, uh, what I what I explained was what faith and repentance are and the necessity of both of them for salvation. So I'm not going to go into the necessity for repentance right now. That that I have about five passages I think I use for that. But you can go and listen to the first one if you're interested in that, but basically repentance is necessary for salvation. And two, uh repentance consists of three aspects. One is the intellect, two is the emotions and three is the volition. And and Intellectually, an individual must know that their sin is a front, an affront to uh, a holy God. Um, they must know that their sin is against God primarily. Two, uh, that must emotionally move them in a negative way. So they must feel pain for that, uh, sorrow for their sin, not because of the consequences of the sin, but because of the uh, because of knowing that it's a sin against God. And then three. Uh, the the volitional aspect would be um, having a willing disposition and determination to part from sin. Now, this willing disposition and determination, that's kind of what we generally know of as the definition for repentance, which is a turning from sin. But uh, this willing disposition and determination uh, naturally leads to fruits of repentance but we have to make sure that we're careful to distinguish between the fruits of repentance and repentance itself. The repentance itself is not a doing of anything. It's an inward work, right? It's an inward work in, in the individual. The doing is a fruit of repentance, but it isn't repentance. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's repentance. And now faith, I, I define that, or I said that the necessity of, necessity of faith comes through justification by faith, or justification by faith alone. We looked at Romans 3.26, I believe. And in Romans 3.26, Paul says that a man is justified by faith. And we define justification, or uh, justified, right, uh, the verb there, we define that as a uh, declaration that an individual is righteous, or a consideration that he's righteous, and a uh, a treatment of that individual as righteous, and I think that's a good definition because it it shows that the individual, though he is not righteous in and of himself, he is considered to be and treated as righteous, even though he in in and of himself is not. And the means by which an individual is declared that, considered to be that, treated as that is by the means through the instrument of faith. And faith in and of itself is not meritorious. It is not something that makes, puts God in the position to uh, to declare us righteous. It doesn't force him, twist his arm into that. The reason why faith is what justifies because it connects us to the one who is righteous, to the one who has all of the merit. So when we put our faith in Christ, we are connected to Christ and all of his merit is 
uh, imputed to us. It is accounted to us, reckoned to us. And that's why we are justified by faith. Faith in and of itself is nothing other than the instrument by which we are connected to Christ. It's the bond that connects us to him. And then two, I, I define faith as took this from John Murray in his book, Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied. He says that it's knowledge, conviction, and trust. Knowledge um, of who Christ is, what he did, and what he's able to do. Conviction that all of who Christ is, all of what he did, all of what he's able to do is true. And then three, trust. That is the falling on him, resting on him, letting go of all of our works, all of our unrighteousness, and falling on to Christ. So that is basically the first message in a few minutes, real quick. Our concern now is with how these two concepts go together, repentance and faith. If they're both necessary for salvation, how do they, uh, how do they relate to one another in conversion? I guess that's, that's more of the question. And, and uh, my answer to that is going to be that they are inseparable and they necessarily come together. They can't be separated. One can't believe without at the same time being repentant. One cannot repent without at the same time believing. So I'm going to get into the implications of this as we go. But the, the something to get us thinking about this is uh, in what, imagine the situation where an individual, he comes over to you and he, he says, maybe he's a close friend, whatever. He comes over to you and he says, and this individual, he knows the gospel, but he says, uh, what am I to do in response to the gospel? And I'm assuming most of us would say, well, believe. Just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, right? John 3, 16, for whosoever believes shall not perish, right? But then he says, well, can I just believe and go on doing whatever I want? And then you say, oh, well, you also have to repent. Oh, and then he responds, oh, well, what do I do first? Repent and then believe or believe and then repent? Just do it all at the same time, right? So th this is kind of the context that that I'm thinking and that just is something to get you thinking about it. Um, and the verse that I want to frame this whole thing, this is, uh, this is topical, right? This is a topical sermon. The last one used a lot more verses. This one's going to be playing with the ideas that come from those verses more, but I still want to frame it with this verse from Mark 1 15. It's, uh, Jesus, part of his first words that he, he speaks are, uh, uh, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Or repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus commands these two things. And now our question is, how do they go together? Right? That's our question. So it's been said that uh, faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin describing conversion. Sinclair Ferguson says, I'm pretty sure this is in an article, uh, where he's talking about specifically this topic. He says, they describe the same person, quote, sorry, they describe the same person in the same action, but from different perspectives. In one instance, repentance, the person is viewed in relation to sin. In the other, faith, the person is viewed in relation to the Lord Jesus. But the individual who trusts in Christ simultaneously turns away from sin. In believing, he repents, and in repenting, he believes. So, Basically, what he's saying here, if I were to relate this to our illustration or our picture of a coin, is if I were to look at, when I look at a coin, I only see two sides, generally speaking. Like if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at one side of the coin, I see one side, I'm looking at the other, work with me. So if I'm looking at one side, I see heads. And if, if I were to 
use our illustration, the coin illustrates conversion. It's a picture of conversion. And one side of that coin, if I were to see one side, I'd see the image of an individual in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in that picture, I'd see the individual uh, expressing faith, falling onto Christ, clinging to Christ, receiving the gift of salvation that Christ offers, right? And then on the other side of the coin, I would see the individual, an, an image of the individual uh, in relation to sin. And I primarily see him turning from his, his sin, determining to turn, turn from it, having that willing disposition to let it go. And that sin is still a burden on that individual's back, but there's a desire to be rid of it. Okay. So that's in relation to sin. Now they're both describing conversion, but we're seeing it from a different perspective. Okay. So also in this, in what Ferguson says specifically in uh, what he says, um, he says, the individual who trusts in Christ simultaneously turns away and believing he repents and in repenting he believes. What he's saying here, and this is vital, and with that understanding of repentance and faith that we have from the first teaching, right? That repentance is a determination to turn from sin, uh, a willing disposition to let go, and faith is a, uh, a, a trust in Christ, a falling onto Christ. The... What he's saying here is that repentance and faith, by the very nature of what they are the in and of themselves, they go together. So this is why it's important to define faith and repentance. It grounds what we are seeing here. This is why we need to have that understanding, right? So John Murray, he actually, he's really, really helpful on this point. He says, he says, uh, In his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he says, the interdependence, quote, sorry, the interdependence of faith and repentance can be readily seen when we remember that faith is faith in Christ for salvation from sin. But if faith is directed to salvation from sin, there must be hatred of sin and the desire to be saved from it. Such hatred of sin involves repentance which essentially consists in turning from sin unto God. Again, if we remember that repentance is turning from sin unto God, the turning to God implies faith in the mercy of God as revealed in Christ. It is impossible to disentangle faith and repentance. Saving faith is permeated with repentance. Repentance is permeated with faith. End quote. Now, that's just, that's such a valuable insight there. Uh, in, in simplest terms, what he's saying is that faith is trusting Christ from salvation from something. And that's something that you're trusting Christ for salvation from is sin. If you're trusting Christ for salvation from sin, I'm repentant by nature because I desire to be rid of it. I would not trust in Christ for salvation from sin if I did not want to part from sin. You might trust in Christ for salvation from hell, but... In order for it to be saving faith, there must be some desire to be par to part from sin also. Not that it's wrong to not want to go to hell. That's a very good desire, and a lot of people don't have any fear of hell. On the other hand, he's saying that repentance is turning from sin to something else. I'm not just turning from sin to another sin. I'm turning from sin 
to Christ. So don't repentance emphasizes turning from sin. Implicit in repentance is turning from sin to Jesus. Right? So there are many, many people in this world today who are turning from sin solely because of the natural consequences of them. And they're turning from sins to smaller sins is really what it is. But that's not true repentance. There are many people who believe in Jesus solely because they want to have some great life now. Or not go to hell. And like I said before, it's a good desire to not want to go to hell. But trust in Christ has a desire to be free from that which leads us to hell. And is an insult against God. I'm going to say that again. It's a good desire to not want to go to hell. Jesus preaches on hell a lot. But trust in Christ has a desire to be free from that which leads us to hell. And is an insult against God. Not just a desire to not go to hell, but a desire to be free from the thing, the very thing that nailed Christ to the cross. Right? It's not true faith to solely trust Jesus for this. True faith has an implicit desire to be free from sin. Without repentance, faith is no more than imagination. And without faith, repentance is legal. And I'll explain that second part first, or in a minute. But without repentance, faith is no more than imagination. If I claim to have faith but have no repentance, I don't have faith. That's what I'm saying. There's no such thing as faith without repentance. There's no such thing as repentance without faith. So we see that faith and repentance, they naturally go together by the very nature of the things themselves. But the question pops up, does one come before the other? When Jesus says, repent and believe, does he mean that one must repent and then believe? There are generally three approaches to this question of which one comes first. Some claim that repentance precedes faith because I must turn from sin before I cling to Christ. I must let go before I cling, right? Others claim that uh, repentance comes after faith because I must see the mercy of God in Christ and take hold of him. And as I take hold of him, I let go. Uh, and that, or after I take hold of him, I'm, I'm, I let go of my sin. I turn from my sin. I turn from my ways after. Then others say that neither takes logical or temporal priority. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into like all the reasons behind that, but the stance that says that neither takes priority is the most biblical. And this is because of the fact that the responses by nature occur together. Now, we can pick it apart more and more, but I, I think this is the, the best way to understand it. They're inseparable, right? They're two sides of the same coin, describing conversion from different perspectives. So a lot of damage can be done when a preacher, an individual, gives a logical priority to repentance or faith. For example, if a preacher or someone advises an unbeliever who is seeking the way to Christ to repent and then trust in Christ once he's repented, then the individual literally won't come to Christ. He can't. Uh, this is what can be called preparationism. So the question inevitably, inevitably becomes when you say, you must repent, and once you've repented, you can come to Christ. 
Once you say that, the question in the mind of the individual becomes, well, how much repentance is necessary before I am able to come to Jesus? Or when will I be fully prepared to be received by Jesus? The warrant or authority that an individual has to come to Jesus then becomes something subjective within. What I mean is, the individual then looks within himself and in his mind says, well, I haven't fully repented, therefore I'm not warranted to come to Jesus because I'm not merited, I have not merited, I have not done something that makes me worthy to be prepared to be received by Jesus. It's really interesting. But this is a serious, serious distortion of the gospel offer. It's a serious distortion of the reception of the gospel. This is why uh, Sinclair Ferguson actually says that it's legal to put repentance before. Because it makes it a work that prepares you to be received by Christ. It puts this wall or this mountain that's impossible to climb between the sinner and Christ. And it's... It's, it's a distortion. It's a distortion of grace. Sinclair Ferguson, he says, I mean, he, he's so, he's so, so good on this point. He says, repentance turning from sin and decrees on conviction of sin do not constitute the grounds on which Christ is offered to us. They may constitute the ways in which the Spirit works as the gospel makes its impact on us, but they never form the warrant for repentance and faith. End quote. This point, it can't be overstated. Christ himself is the warrant for faith. Repentance doesn't give you grounds to put your faith in Jesus. You don't say in your mind, I have repented, therefore I'm worthy to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus in repentance and faith simultaneously knowing that you're unworthy. Right? With a desire to be rid of sin. A desire to be saved from sin. Jesus, what he did, who he is, the sufficiency of his sacrifice, that he is able to save any sinner who comes to him, and the free offer he makes to anyone, which is that every sinner is welcome to come to him, is the warrant of faith. And that point is vital. Christ is the warrant for faith, Christ himself, all of who he is, what he did, and what he's able to do. And the implications of this are, I mean, they're absolutely, like, they're, they're just massive. They're huge. And it's, one, is that there's no intermediate step to be taken that lies between the sinner and Christ. It's Christ and the sinner. That's it. There's nothing in between. There's no, uh, there's no clothes that you need to put on to go to Christ. There's no makeup you need to wear to make yourself more presentable to him. You go to him as you are. As you are. How else will you go? Seriously, how else will you go? You can't go any other way. Horatius Bonart, he says this in... Um, in his book, How Shall I Go to God, he says, I'm not going to quote this directly because I don't have it written down, but he says, we go to Christ with our sin. For how else can we go to him? You can't go to him any other way. Any other way. 
everything that's between the sinner and Christ has been taken care of. That's sin. Christ dealt with sin on the cross. That's done. Now, all there is for you to do it is repentantly receive that. Have a desire to be free from sin and receive that. It's, I mean, it's, it's just vital. Also, another another implication of this is, is that uh, everyone has just a fair, a warrant to believe in Jesus. I, I, I remember this so clearly. I, I don't even know how long ago it was at this point. But I had a friend who, who said to me, like, you know I'm closer than they are. Like, as in, like, I'm closer to, to Jesus than these guys are, even though he's not a believer either. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, you are. You have a better understanding, a Christian background, right? All those kind of things. But um, it's one, it's not true. And two, the one who's seemingly farthest away from Christ has just a fair, a warrant, just a fair authority to come before Christ and receive salvation as the guy who looked like Paul did, right? In the New Testament, he was perfect according to the law, at least in his own mind, right? That's what he thought. But just aren't just as far away. It's wild. It's wild. Um, this, yeah, the sinner uh, repentantly receives Christ Repentance happens within the context of faith, and faith happens within the context of repentance. They can't be separated. You can't put one before the other. You can't. But when you do, so much damage can be done. And I only looked at how the damage can be done with repentance. Because we, we see a lot more of in our day, but uh, it's it's a vital, vital point. Okay, so... Another question is, uh, what about faith alone, right? What about, we say that justification is by faith alone. Uh, and if faith is the sole instrument by which an individual is justified, how can we say that uh, repentance is a condition for salvation? In other words, if, if faith is the only thing that I need in order to take hold of Christ, it's the only thing that I need to connect myself to him and everything that goes along with him, then how can you say that I have to repent too? And I think that's a good question. I, I think it's a necessary one. Um, the simple answer is that both faith and repentance, they live together. The Bible, it clearly lays out the fact that both are conditions of salvation. They are not the same thing, but what is implied by the other. And I've already, I, I've tried to show that already. Faith is the sole instrument, and this is kind of a complicated sentence, but faith is the sole instrument or means by which a man is justified. But living together with that faith is repentance, right alongside it. So while faith is the only thing that grabs Repentance is, is right there with it. Uh, this is, I, I guess it sounds a little weird, but it's just, it's kind of just the biblical picture that's painted. So it's kind of hard to get around it. Um, a faith has, a faith that has no repentance alongside it is not saving faith. It's that simple. A repentance that has no faith is not real repentance. 
this is so basic and so straightforward. If you've never repented, you're not saved. I don't care how much faith you have or claim to have, right? It's just your imagination. If your life looks the same as the world, you've never seen any change. If you're not repentant, you're not saved. I mean, the Bible couldn't be much more clear on that. And the same goes for, for faith. If you look, if you look so righteous, so holy, your repentance looks deep, you're, you're living a moral life, but you are not trusting Christ as your everything, you're not saved. It goes both ways. Wayne Grudem illustrates, uh, he illustrates the, the faith alone plus, um, plus repentance. Actually, I, I think pretty well on a really simple illustration. So he says something, he, he uses keys. I'm, I'm going to make it my own, but I'm taking it from him. So on my keys, I have a car key, right? And every time I, I plug my car key into the car, it's the only key that works to turn the car on. But I also have other keys that open other things right along with it. They're always right there with it. But my car key alone is the sole instrument by which I turn the car on. And that's the same picture. Just as I turn my car on with the one key and I have my other keys along with it. And in our picture, it would be repentance. So too, right? Faith is a sole instrumental cause of justification, but that faith is always accompanied by true repentance. Always. So I think that basically deals with, uh, as much as we can today, um, you could go deeper into it, but I would listen to the first part if you want to hear more, because uh, it all connects. But I don't want to get stuck in the weeds, uh, this sermon was basically about how faith and repentance necessarily come together. And they are conditions of salvation. We can't put one before the other. And specifically, we cannot say repentance is a step of preparation before we are acceptable to Christ. The whole point is that we come to Jesus as filthy sinners. How else are you going to come? It's the whole point. Now, with all of that, Let's go back to like the little illustration that we were thinking about in the beginning. Your friend asks you, he says, uh, well, what, what must I do to be saved? And you say, now you say, repent and believe. Have a willing disposition to part with your sin and lean on Christ fully. He says, which one must I do first? Neither. It's all at the same time. You come to Christ with your sin, with a desire for it to be gone, and you fall on him. That's all it is. Turn from the sins that are particular to you. Let go of them. That's not a work. But works will follow. And faith. Fall on Christ. Trust him. He's your hope. He's your everything. It's all one movement. Right? That's the response. Now I, I do quickly want to mention one last thing. In... In a sinner coming to Christ, just as uh, the coin, there are two sides to the one coin. One side is 
repentance, the other side is faith. In, in the mind of an individual coming to Christ, and even, even visibly to those outside, uh, one aspect might be more, uh, the individual might be more consciously aware of one of those, one of those aspects. This is what Sinclair Ferguson, he calls it the psychology of conversion. So depending on the passage that's preached or the, the emphasis that the preacher is giving or the passage, whatever it is, um, the individual might have more of a conscious understanding of simply falling onto Christ, trusting him with everything, or he could have more of a uh, conscious understanding um, of, of letting go of all of his sin, determining to part with it, knowing that he can't get rid of it, right? It's stuck to him. It's in him. It's who he is, but not wanting it, right? So one of those two aspects might be more uh, on the front of an individual's mind, but both must be there. That's not to say that an individual might not even be conscious of one of them. He might not be. I, I, I would have to think about that more, but um, it is necessary that both are there. So with, with all of this said, uh, I want to bring it to us. I want to talk about us. Uh, I want to ask, where are you? What about you? Right? Where, where are you at today? Um, when I talked about faith and repentance, does that resonate with you? Um, are you seeing fruits of that in your own life? Uh, Martin Luther and you know the theses he, he nailed to the door of the church in Wittenberg he says I think this was his first theses I'm not sure about that but he says quote when our Lord Jesus Christ said repent he meant that the whole of the Christian life should be of repentance end quote so what this means is that repentance isn't just a one-time thing the same can be said for believing same thing they're both in the same same um, uh, verb form if you're gonna go that route but I, I think you can you can make the argument uh, from just looking at the New Testament as a whole anyways trusting in Christ is not a one-time thing it begins at a moment in time at that moment in time that it begins the sinner is fully justified and secured for eternity but it continues throughout the Christian life that's not to say that there aren't times in a Christian's life where he falls into heinous sin that could even be for an extended period of time uh, but uh, the point is is that repentance and faith are characteristics of the Christian they're not just something that you just do once and it's one and done and I'm good for the rest of my life. A Christian is a penitent believer. That's the characteristic of a Christian. Uh, so I, I, I ask you, do you sorrow for your sin because you've committed it against God? Do you, do you have any hatred for your sin? Those secret sins that you're struggling with? Or are you struggling with them? Do they pain you? Do you even desire to be free from them? Or do you love them? Do you cherish them? It's important to note that uh, repentance in this life, it won't ever be perfect. But I'm not asking if your repentance is perfect and whether you always at every moment are determined to be free from your sin because you won't be. 
But I'm asking whether you have any real desire. If you look at your life, do you, can you honestly say about yourself, right? This is subjective, internal looking. Do, do you determine to be free from your sin? Um, do you see fruit in your life that proves it? Or do you look just like the world, right? Can you sin comfortably? If you have known sin in your life, flee from it. If it comes back, because it will, do it again. But remember, repentance happens within the context of faith. Always keep your mind, your eyes set on Christ and what he's done on the cross. Christ, he's willing, he's able to forgive you. And he does forgive you. Also, where are you when it comes to faith? I, do, you, do you trust in yourself? Do you trust in your own righteousness? Do you trust in your own faith? Or are you trusting in Christ? Are you leaning on Christ as all of your righteousness? Not 99% of it. Is he everything? When you stand before God, are you going to say, Christ is everything. He's everything. He's everything. Don't look at me. You're going to say, oh, well, well, I did this. If you, if you have that knee-jerk reaction, me, me, that means there's some trust in yourself. But the same goes for faith as with repentance. There's no such thing as perfect faith in this, li in this life. There just isn't. Because sin is always intertwined with it. But do you trust Christ at all? Do you have any trust in Christ? A faith that is weak connects you to a powerful faith Savior, just as a powerful faith or a strong faith connects you to a powerful Savior. It's the same Savior. Different amounts of faith, but the same Savior. Are you trusting him not only for salvation, but with the decisions you make? Do you take his word seriously? Uh, are you trusting him enough um, that you're not anxious about what's going on in the world today? That you're not anxious about eternity or death? I, 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 I know what weak faith is like. I, I live with it. It doesn't mean I, I don't want stronger faith, right? Um, I know many of us are, are struggling with, with, uh, with anxiety. But it's because in America, I think it's so easy to put our put our hope in in our country and the comfortability of what we have. But the Christian life it, it begins by trusting by trusting Christ, and it continues that way. We bring nothing and we leave with nothing. He's done everything and we rest in that. If you can trust Christ with your eternity, which I'm assuming many of us are claiming to do, then we can also trust him for today. We can, we can have no fear of death today if we can trust him with eternity. We can trust him for the forgiveness of sins. Now, for those of you who, who might be hearing much of this for the first time today, I want to ask, where are you? What, what's your hope in? I know that you have eyes to see what's going on in our country. The thought of death must be on your mind in some way. Do you care what's going to happen to you? Seriously. Seriously. Do you have any care for your soul? Um, 
John MacArthur, he's he's I mean he's been on fire recently, but he, he said this, I think it was in an interview. Uh, quote, you have no chance of surviving death. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. The church does not exist to protect people from the flu. It exists to protect people from eternal punishment in hell. I can assure you, uh, end quote, sorry. I can assure you that if you die without Christ, you will be eternally punished in hell because of your sin. It's not a game. It's not a fun thing to think about, but it's reality. And death is coming. It's coming to all of us. It just depends on when. But but listen, seriously, Christ has done everything for you. Christ has lived a perfect life that upholds God's law and he offers himself as a means of expiation, a means of forgiveness, a sacrifice in your place. And he offers that to you today. He's done everything Everything that's necessary for your salvation is found in him. Will you take him? Will you let go of your hope in yourself, in your material comforts, in your sinful pleasures, and trust him? He's not asking something uh, that's amazing of you to do. He's asking you to accept the amazing thing that he's done. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. It's able and he's willing he desires it for you to come to him you don't need you don't need to take the consequence that you deserve christ offers and has done it for you if you would simply receive it there's no intermediate step between you and him you don't have to have this crazy emotional uh emotional uh, experience you don't have to um, have this epiphany you don't have to you know it's there before you now Christ is standing there before you now able and willing to receive you that's all you need to know and rest in that it doesn't take it's not magic it is miraculous but it's not magic you come to Christ with everything that you are. You don't you don't put makeup on a dead body. You don't you don't you don't prepare yourself. You just come. He's just right there. God has made one way between the sinner and Christ. Or between yeah, between the sinner and Christ, sorry. And that's repentance and faith. You come to Jesus with your sin, but with a desire for it to be gone. You don't demand a crazy experience. You don't demand uh, to go wash in a different river. You don't demand uh, to do something your own way. Christ has, or God has made a way. Now humbly submit to that way and come. I want to close with a with a hymn. Uh, it's by Horatius Bonard. Oh, no, it's not by Horatius Bonard. I don't know who this is by. Forget that I just said that. This is a really, really good hymn. Uh, it's Come You Sinners, Poor and Needy. Come you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. 
true belief and true repentance every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Come you weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will rise and go to Jesus. He will save me from my sin. By the riches of his merit, there is joy and life in him. Just think about that. I, I think it's verse 4. He says, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry ter till you're better, you will never come at all. That's that's a lot of what I'm I'm trying to show us today is that there's there's no preparation you can make in between you and Christ. It's all this it's one movement falling onto Christ and letting go of sin. It's all it's all one thing. You come as you are and you fall before him as you are. It's all one movement. If you wait, you won't you won't come. You can't. No one's worthy to come to Christ. All right, let's let's pray. Lord God, I I pray that this this message would be of eternal benefit to those who hear it. I know that this truth is is extremely freeing to me, um, that I can't come before you with anything in and of myself. Um, and I come before you as a, a needy, broken sinner, um, wanting, needing to receive salvation from, from Christ. And God, I pray for those who, who may not have ever taken that step, that they would fall onto you today, that they would... They would determine, uh, desire, willfully um, to be free from their sin. Um, and that they would trust in you, knowing that your sacrifice is sufficient to do all that is necessary for them. Then us, as, as believers, God, I, I ask that you would help us to remember this truth, live in this truth. Um, the freeing truth that Christ has done it all. Even in our Christian lives, we, we, we can't do anything that merits us any favor before you. Christ is all and in all. Uh, help us to rest in that truth. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.